0: Hi, this is Bear Ross, science fiction writer, and you're listening to Dead Hand Radio.
1: Welcome to Dead Hand Radio.
0: Glad to be here. Thank you very much.
1: Uh, Do you go by Bear or is it John?
0: Yeah, I go by both. Uh, You know, full legal name is John Bear Ross. Uh, The publisher decided we'll just chop the John off.
1: Uh, So, all right, man, I'll call you Barry. Let's get into this, man, because I want to learn a little bit more about your background. I saw that you're in the military, but I'll let you take it from here and just give me, uh, you know, your background and how you got interested in science fiction.
0: Uh, Well, uh, I'm kind of a Cold War kid or towards the end of the Cold War kid and Cold War kids. I was uh, born in 75, so I'm right in the middle of Gen X, Uh, graduated high school in 93. So I saw the tail end of of things, as far as uh, the Cold War aspect of things goes. Uh, I was born down in Yuma. Uh, My mom uh, remarried a Naval officer uh, when I was nine and we went over to Japan. Spent three years in Japan, uh, spent a year in Seattle and then down to Alameda where the nuclear vessels are and then ended up in Vegas where my dad worked in the tunnels at the test site. He did contract oversight for the Navy. Uh, so I graduated high school in Vegas, like I mentioned before, but uh, I've been all over. Uh, I got to see multiple locales, multiple cultures. Uh, grew up in, you know, they seem to be scary times, looking back at it now. And uh, from, from Vegas, went to university, flunked out, joined the Marines. Uh, came back to Vegas, uh, worked in the casinos doing valet and security, and ended up at the uh, nuclear test site as a security, and then later as, as maintenance. That's basically the, the resume for me. Uh, what got me into science fiction was no matter where we moved, my mom made sure we had a, uh, access to the library. You know, on base libraries are often often beautiful. And then you know, Seattle and Alameda had great Carnegie libraries. And then uh, we always always had a bookshelf stocked with uh, old pulp stuff of Edgar Rice Burroughs. And then uh, my two formative authors on me were like prototypical Cold War stuff, uh, Niven and Pornell, Dr. Jerry Pornell and uh, Larry Niven. They write as a duo. And then uh, Tom Clancy. So th- those things really made a, an impression on me and said, you know, hey, I want to tell stories too. And eventually I, I decided, hey, I'm going to start writing.
1: Sounds like a pretty straightforward path uh, to writing. Are you still working out at the test site or did you I retire? Am. Oh, yep, okay.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm not full-time writer. Uh, I, I basically write when I can. You know, it's, it's pretty extensive hours out there, but uh, caffeine helps, kind of. <laughs> uh,
1: now, I know a lot of guys do like three or four days on. And then they get to come home for a couple of days, and then they just cycle in and out like that. Is that how that works for you?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's four ten, so I'm I'm on four. Uh, I I come home every night, uh, so that's and I live in Promp. Even then, it's it's a two hour commute each way. So I'm I'm committed to the test site one way or another, going coming back or there about fourteen fifteen hours a day. So I get home, I, I kind of just drop and, and knock it out. But every weekend, weekend's a three day weekend unless unless I have overtime. So
1: nice. Nice. So, well, that leaves you enough time to squeeze in some writing now and then. How many books have you put out so far?
0: Uh, with my current publisher, Ethan Books, uh, two full-size novels. Before that, I've been writing on and off as, as an independent and for other small presses. I've been doing anthologies, you know, 40,000 word stories here and there when I could. So I've been doing that for about 10 years. But Ethan, a couple of years ago, liked my independent book, said, hey, let's, let's take this into a trilogy and... uh do, do a deve- developmental edit on it and uh, gone from there. So I'm, I'm working on book three right now that'll finish out my trilogy and uh, hopefully we'll keep going.
1: And that's the Junction World trilogy that you're talking about? Yes, sir.
0: Yep, Junction World.
1: Okay, cool. Uh, now looking at the cover art, it looks like that is heavily on the side of the mechanized...
0: Oh yeah, I'm, I'm all about the mechs. You know, when I, when, I, when I grew up as a kid, uh, Robotech, which, you know, Later I learned was Macross, uh Battletech, uh Transor Z, which was Mazinger Z at the time, you know, and, and, and living in Japan, like I mentioned before, Zoids were heavy, so you know, the big robotic animals. But yeah, every, everything mecca in my life. I'm a I'm a real mecha head.
1: Very cool. Uh do you want to talk a little bit about the backstory for your novel? I mean, um, like how how did it come into being and uh what gave you the idea for uh, writing about Max?
0: Um, well, uh, no matter what I write about Max, it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's like breathing in and breathing out. Junction World was kind of a unique setting. It's kind of like a, a mixture of uh, like Blade Runner and Stargate and uh, a couple, you know, dark, noir settings, but with giant uh, interdimensional portals ringing this, this, uh, this pocket dimension you know the place is about a, i based it on vegas basically uh i i uh i figured it was this place about 100 miles across uh, no one knows why it's there or how it got there but uh, it's a central nexus for all these different places to meet it's a place between worlds kind of and so uh these uh overlords i call them the gatekeepers or they call themselves the gatekeepers have basically captured this place. It's, it's constantly changing hands. They, they're, they're currently in control and their method of control is not only regulating commerce through the gates, but uh, also setting up a, a, like bread and circuses, like the Romans, You know, a mass distraction sports. So that they, they, they snatch these people out of time or, or peril, bring them back to Junction World, uh, record them uh, fighting each other in these mechanized arenas and broadcast that as another source of revenue and, and pacification, basically.
1: Cool. So the gladiator arenas uh, with mechanized armor.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I don't know if, if people read the books. The, the first book is, uh, I have a, a couple neat to me, uh, structured gladiator sequences. And then eventually, as you keep reading the book, a rebellion starts and it just starts, it turns into straight or not straight, but uh, science fiction military carnage. So, but it starts off all nice and neat where people just killing each other in the arena and uh, pretty soon they start killing each other everywhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool. So it it sounds like it turns into a full-blown uprising or rebellion similar to that one of Spartacus. Kind
0: of, yeah, and and, and along the same lines the gatekeepers, these little blobby overlords, they, they maintain control not just with the arenas, but active control with their own uh army of of 3d printed people you know they call them the, the model nines niners and so the niners eventually and it, rebellions and bred out of them but eventually you know you can't keep rebellion out of life life finds a way so so eventually the, the the niners uh turn and uh hilarity ensues and that's what book three is about right now
1: okay so you said you everything you write has to do with mechs, but where did that like spark come from?
0: Uh, when, when I was a kid, I, you know, uh, Transformers, you know, I, I, like I said, I was born in 75. So about uh, 82, 83, you know, Transformers came online. 84, I started watching, uh, or 85, somewhere on there. I was watching uh, Robotech. Uh, I got back to the States. Battletech had just started. So uh, it, it's just always been uh, thrilling to the, Inner eight-year-old in me of of these giant walking tanks, uh, you know, striding across the land and, and blowing stuff up. So, I don't think I've really progressed beyond eight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think all of us have an inner child that's just screaming to get out. Some yeah. of us have the creative outlet to allow that to happen, which is amazing. yeah Did Caffeine. do you think your time in the military uh, as a Marine Corps or as a Marine? Uh, had anything to do with your interest in telling stories?
0: I think so. Uh, you know, I, I, I never went to war, so let me, um, so I, but I did do my time. I was between wars. I was in from, from 95 to 01. And before 9-11 kicked off, I was out. It was unfortunate because I wanted to go. That's, that's how they train you. Um, my time as Marine uh, helped me see how, you know, action would go down. I mean, even even if I've never been in a combat situation, you can extrapolate and put yourself in there through training. And that's and the general mindset. Yes, this would work. Yes. Or no, that wouldn't work. I and mean, you put put it through the sci-fi filter and uh, you want to make it. So that I've always said I want things to be that a, a modern combat soldier can pick up my stuff, read it or look at it because I also sculpt and say, yeah, I can see things going that way you know, it might might be laser beams and, and, uh, jetpacks, but I can still see things going that way. People are still going to be people until we get replaced by robots.
1: Yeah. Were you more of a book reader or a movie lover when you were growing up?
0: Uh, I read a lot of books. Uh, TV was restricted in our house, but we still got to see movies. Uh, wasn't a lot of time for cartoons. We had to earn our hour of daily TV. So it'd be very, uh, Specific in what we we uh, watched, and uh, but yeah, yeah, growing up I, I always had my nose in a book. My my eyes were bad real early because of it. <laughs> I was in I was in glasses by the time I was twelve, I think.
1: Do you still read avidly?
0: I don't have n- nearly as much time as I'd want to. Uh, you know, I uh, writing takes up a lot of my time. Audiobooks gives me a chance to uh, take things in you know keep up with the competition see what everybody, see what the latest trends are going and uh, and and still keep my finger on the pulse and uh, and not take up time that otherwise be by writing and I, I do I, I have a big bookshelf here I reread the one my my touchstones the ones I love about once a year when I can but uh, I've you know I, I, I have a pretty good memory so you know once once you're reading a section oh I've read this before I love this part I just re- refresh that in the, in, in the, in the head unit, but, but, uh, not nearly as much time for reading anymore, unfortunately.
1: So name some of the books that you go back to on a regular basis.
0: Uh, I just, uh, reread uh, red storm rising by Tom Clancy. Love that book. Uh, you know, the possibility of a, of a conventional, uh, Warsaw Pact NATO war in, in, uh, in Western Europe. Um, I try and reread uh, Footfall by uh, Larry Niven and Pornell uh, every year. Um, Do it every once in a while.
1: What is uh, Footfall about?
0: Footfall is an invasion fr- by uh, a species from a, a neighboring uh, star system, but it's, it's not super tech. It, it, it's, they, they get, it takes decades for them to get here. We see them all the way in, we, we, we meet them, and they, they blow us out of the sky and begin their invasion. But it's it's clunky and it, it, it shows the, uh, the differences One of Niven's laws is there, there are minds that think like yours, but differently. And so he really uh, does a beautiful study on uh, herd mentality, alien versus us, you know, it, it, they're like big elephants, so it's like elephants versus monkeys here on, on planet Earth. So it, it, it turns into guerrilla warfare with with them tearing the hell out of us from orbit until we can launch a counterattack so it, it, it's it's a it's one of my favorites
1: a- any others uh, oh, geez, look at my...
0: ah man I mean I just I love them all I mean but, but I always go back to Niven pornell Heinlein a little bit uh, some of the classics a little bit of Asimov um, and then from there I, I just delve into my comic books too <laughs> oh cool yeah i'm a yeah. big
1: comic book well i i'm less of a comic book uh aficionado nowadays but i have a pretty good collection i go back and reread some of the comics that i have occasionally i just love the artwork man i'm a yeah i'm a big fan of the artwork very visual person
0: yeah my, I, I i i'm on that front as well with you uh i collected hardcore you know like everybody did in, in the 90s at my age, but uh, yeah, so I've I have a couple long boxes in the garage, but uh, my favorite uh, artist of all times is an English guy named uh, Alan Davis. That, that he, he's just smooth, beautiful artwork. I love his pencils.
1: Uh, what are some of the books he's drawn?
0: Uh, Excalibur. He's done a lot of runs on X Men and uh, Justice League, uh, but uh, most people know him from his his. Big run in Excalibur in the mid '90s. He did Clandestine in the early 2000s. Um, Captain Britain when he was still over in England. He did a lot of uh, a lot of stuff over there before he became huge and came over to America. Obviously, not not that huge if if nobody's heard of him. But uh, but yeah, he did a couple great runs on uh, on uh, X Men that most people recognize.
1: Um, right. What uh, what other uh, comic book titles do you do you find or i mean are you I, interested in
0: i i liked a lot of the uh, like the jim lee x-men run uh you know when when x-men turned into x-men one with a, the four four uh, cover a debut um a little bit dc i liked uh, i like dan brereton stuff a lot of painted stuff alex ross i love alex ross's painted stuff um a lot of the image stuff i liked eric larson's initial run in savage dragon uh, a lot of the image number ones, I collected like everybody collected, and uh, but uh, yeah, the pride of my collection is uh, is uh, those uh, Alan Davis Excaliburs, I think.
1: Some of those books uh, nowadays are going to be worth quite a bit of money, and down the road they're going to be priceless. Let's hope so. I think so. I mean, uh, because print printed books printed comics are becoming less and less popular and people are switching over to the digital version of the books now
0: oh yeah then and, and just video games video games to me is basically uh taking over any creative market you see out there comics are suffering books are suffering even movies are suffering so you know why spend this Sixty bucks to take the family to a movie when you can spend sixty bucks and and play on a game for a minimum of sixty hours. So it, it's a it's a matter of time versus uh, money. People get more bang for the buck with a uh, with a video game.
1: Yeah, video games are. Uh, uh, you know, I, I have mixed feelings about video games because I uh, have had a few video games that I really enjoyed playing, and I still every once in a while will will. <clears throat> Dabble back into playing a video game once in a while, Mm -hmm. but uh, they are so consuming. You can get lost in a video game, like you said, for hours at a time and it just turns into a big time dump. I don't consider it a waste of time because, you know, unless you're doing it eight hours a day, seven days a week, you know, eight or more hours a day, and you're not trying to do anything positive with your life. Yeah. In that situation, then it could be a a negative.
0: Yeah. I, like I said, I have a 17-year-old. That's what he does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh,
1: oh, as long man. as he gets his homework done, as long yeah, as he yeah. you know, gets good grades in school. Uh, I,
0: I can't give him too much guff because he's bring, still bringing home straight A's and he's, he's still doing college courses while he's in high school. So I have to, I have to let it go.
1: Yeah. But for, for a grown man who's trying to make a living and provide for his family to spend that oh, yeah. much time and not earn an income doing it yeah uh, yeah that's a that's a detriment to his way of life
0: it does but, but you know I, I figured he can be a kid for now and pretty soon he can hit the hard wall of reality i'll let him be a kid for now
1: right so but but I, even, I'll, even I'll for i mean i i talked with um uh jay clifton slater i, I yeah. don't know yeah, Do yeah. you know him
0: yeah oh yeah i know him well Good.
1: Um, I just recently met him and he is a nice guy, but he tells me he plays video games every once in a while now.
0: He does. Too. He does. Yeah. It's a trip. He's in his it 70s. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. He's knocking it out. That's it's good. very cool.
1: And I think video games is just another way of entertainment. It's just a way Correct. to, you know, clear your mind and have some downtime. and But you're still using your brain yeah. to solve you problems. It's, yeah. a, it's still
0: be stimulated, but you get to shut the ugliness of the world out. So, yeah,
1: exactly. So, yeah, I think there's certainly a place for video games. I just think that um, it's a shame that it's taking over every other entertainment uh, that's out there. So what what I would like to do is talk a little bit theoretical and um, get into some of the history and some of the future of science fiction. Are Mm -hmm. you are you comfortable talking about stuff like that? Sure. Okay. Um, now. The, the Cold War is has always been an area of fascination for me, and I try to tie in the Cold War with every conversation I have on this podcast. And a question that I've been asking um, my guests recently, a lot of them have been writers, um, filmmakers, artists, creative people. Uh, how do you feel that the Cold War has impacted the creative arts, uh, you know, throughout the late 40s through the early 90s?
0: Oh, Monsters. It was basically, it had its fingerprints and everything that happened. I mean, uh, I, I have one right now. I have a quintessential nuclear family, you know, mom and dad, two kids and, uh, and a cat, but uh, that, that's it, it, it shaped American society. And so from that, you know, it shaped what we, what we want for our entertainments and, and, and things along that sort. Um, I mean, the, the cold war is, isn't everything we touch and see even to this day, growing up at the time, you know, you had uh noon air raid siren tests on, on base. And, uh, and, uh, it, it was just looking back, cause it, it was kind of a trip to, to see, I mean, was, I, we lived on a military bases, so we knew that they were the first to be at, on the, uh, the hit list. I, even as a kid, and I'm a, I'm a natural warrior, uh, it's always not at the back of your head. So I, I think from there, it it, it really definitely uh, uh, influenced society. Everything you see basically these days is, and it's human nature. It's us versus them. You know, the 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 blues versus the reds. It was it was it was uh, the valiant uh, Americans versus the the godless communists. So it it, it everything you see these back then. And to an extent today, because it, it trickles down from then. I think uh, it was influenced by uh, us versus them. Uh, prepare yourself. Things might be coming. Uh, you never know what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Can you can you pinpoint a specific example of where that's illustrated? Oh, hmm. well, take your time, man. I know these questions are a uh, little bit deep.
0: Uh, I mean, from from what time period? I mean, it, you know, I, I used to watch... Uh, over and over again on loop, uh, Dr. Strangelove. That, that was, that, was burned ah, dude,
1: that is one of my favorite movies of yeah. all time. So uh, let's,
0: yeah, could, used to be, I could quote that thing back and forth. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Do you have a favorite line from that movie?
0: Uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the classic one, uh, you know, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room, but, uh, yeah, good, good one. uh you know, I would you like a, uh, would you like a cigar? And there's no, thank you. I don't support the work of, uh, of capitalist
1: stooges. Oh, only comedy uh, yeah. stooges. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> what about, what about, uh, let's see, Slim Pickens in the, uh, he's the Colonel, Colonel Kong.
0: Oh, yeah, when he's given the monologue of the description of the contents of the survival kit.
1: No, before that, toe uh-huh. to toe, uh, nuclear nuclear war, toe to toe with the Ruskies. With the Ruskies, yep. Yeah, I love too. that. I love that line, man. Oh, and then his, his most iconic moment of the whole movie was riding that nuclear nuclear uh, bomb down, down. Yeah. yeah it was gorgeous
0: yeah, yeah. That, that that movie had so much so much beauty in it and, yeah. that, and you know you you try to make people watch it first i've turned off because it's black and white like my, i try to make my kids watch it and they, they don't get it they don't get the sub subtext they, well because they weren't raised with uh you know the, the nuclear trigger pointed right at them so so they wouldn't know but uh but even me, I I didn't grow up in the era of 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 SAC and and constant constant uh, patrols. I was I was, but when I came up, became aware of it. You know, Ronnie was already pre- president, and and things were were coming to a head. You know, I it wasn't the constant day in day out. You know, bombers might be coming over the uh, through the Arctic Circle, so who knows?
1: Yeah. Well, but you you still found yourself drawn to it, and that's just a, an illustration of how much it impacted people from oh yeah from all walks of life, and yeah. for over an extended you know multiple decades uh, period of time. Um, but I'm going to go back to that question I asked you previously. So mm-hmm. I, I'd like for you to like reach back through history at thinking <laughs> about entertainment. And in relation to during the period of the Cold War, and try to pinpoint a an example of something of of a, a whether it's a book, a movie, um, that really uh, encompasses that struggle between the the Soviet Union and the West.
0: Uh, to me, it was uh, Clancy. Uh, you know, uh, Red, Red Storm Rising and The Hunt for Red October are two, and a little bit the Cardinal of the Kremlin too. But there was a quintessential techno thriller showing what is going on behind the scenes and out in front on the military front, the diplomatic front, the economic front, and just how the, 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 the juxtaposition was there. You see how things work on one side, you know, these are novelizations, obviously and uh, how things work in, you know, with the Russian mindset versus what happens with our, our hero, Jack Ryan, and, and all the all things he has to go through. But, well, Jack Ryan wasn't in uh, Red Storm Rising, but you know, in one, in, in that book particularly, the collective economy grinds to a halt and they have no choice in their mind, but to launch war. And so it, it, it becomes a, a, a battle to the death almost and at the fold the gap, so to me it it comes down to that you know the, these two philosophies their weaknesses their strengths coming to a head uh toe-to-toe uh t72 to m1 instead of nuclear combat but uh that, that was that was a great tanker book to me yeah
1: keeping it conventional it it seems like that would make sense but you know if one side seems to be losing how long are they going to wait until they do uh launch a counter strike with nuclear Correct. weapons.
0: And they and they address that in the book, you know, they, they, oh, were okay. the verge, they were on the verge of uh throwing in the Soviets were on the verge of uh launching nukes and then uh I won't ruin it. I mean it's a 35, 40 year old book, but but uh things change in the book. So just as things are about to happen, things change. So it's uh
1: do you do you explore uh the concept of nuclear warfare in your books?
0: i do i do uh the, with the gatekeepers the little guys in charge of uh of uh world they have these things called pressure nukes they they're they're not full on uh fission or fusion warheads that they're basically uh they have a little force field in them that that takes a minimum amount of material and uh and so it, it, they they don't go i would say they're more in the range of maybe a kill a ton at the most. They're, they're more precise nukes if such a thing can happen. So, so the, you know, to maintain their control along with their clone army and, and uh, arenas, they also have this central battery, the central tower in the middle of the junction world where they can, you know, if you start acting up or things start coming through the gates, they nuke it. And it's, it's but they don't make the whole place a wasteland. They just, they introduce these precision pressure nukes that, that knock the hell out of everything within... You know 100 200 meters. Hmm.
1: Uh, so does the whole uh, does the whole story unfold within this little pocket universe? Or do uh, yeah I mean uh, explore the, do, do they have contact with other universes?
0: They do. Uh, the first book I try and introduce the world. I set, try and set things up in the first book and show our main character and the struggles she has to go through. And then in the second book, I take her through one of the world gates to perform the mission that she has to get done and show a little bit more of the world up, up that stream. You know, There's eight streams basically of, of gate networks that lead to John world. And so she goes through one gate and doesn't even make it that far, only have two or three worlds in, but you basically have to hop from world to world, kind of like Stargate. And, uh, and, and uh, she has to perform her mission there and somehow get back. But uh, it 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 is uh it's it's a steady steady exposure. I, I can't dump too much because it, it the way I've created the universe is just it's 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 huge. It's, 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 I have infinite worlds, infinite possibilities. Comes down to to one central locus. So I had to pick one spot and say, okay, we're gonna start from here, go from go to there, and maybe maybe it'll branch out into a, a whole science fiction universe where we get away from the main character and, and start things from a different perspective. Cause there's, there's millions of perspectives out there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You could go really anywhere with that.
0: Yeah. It's well, a pretty open universe.
1: How did the concept of multiple worlds make it into your novels?
0: Uh, f- I've, I've always been a fan of alternate realities, alternate histories, that type of stuff. Uh, hell, I think, I think you can go back to the beginning of it was a, uh, you know, mirror universe with uh, original series, Star Trek, you know, every, everybody evil had a, a, a goatee or a mustache. And that's how you knew they were the dark, the mirror universe, like the mirror universe Spock, for example, had that evil goatee. So, and then it went from there. And then, you know, like, like I said, uh, when I was in comics, uh, Alan Davis, a lot of his work was called uh, the trans-dimensional caper. And you know, he takes variations of what you're used to alters it slightly. So I, I always enjoyed that concept. You know, I don't, I don't like being fixed in just one thing. What if you were to fight, you know, the the evil beard version of yourself, that kind of stuff. And it just grew from there. And and so this way I had a rigid, not a rigid, but a semi rigid structure or a formal structure where I could make th- things happen. You know, what, what happens when, if things go this way and things go that way, I could have theoretically, uh, you know, a place where and not to be sacrilegious or anything, I have a place where, you know, the Holocaust never happened and there's like this Israeli mechs could possibly fight Nazi mechs and I would like to see that happen, you know, or or, uh, where the Cold War never ended with mechs. So I could have, uh, you know, uh, some model uh, T-99 mechanized people's walker versus, uh, you know, your Yankee Doodle M-99 uh,
1: mech. So, are those are those actual mechs from your story?
0: No, but I, I've I've stuff along that line, not not in this stuff. But you know, I've I've been cranking out uh, alternate universes and, and what ifs and and potential storylines for decades. And so you know, most people have like their alternate Cold War stuff, their alternate World War II stuff, their alternate uh, Vietnam stuff. And in my case, I always pepper it with mechs. But uh, but it, it's neat taking what you know of history and extrapolating from there and then saying, seeing what could have, what could happen in your own little head.
1: So how do you see the future of science fiction? What direction do you see science fiction going in the next five to 10 years as a whole?
0: Uh, uh, well, there's the you know, business side and story side are, are to me two, two different things. Cause I'm on the inside uh, inside baseball. I see, I see a lot more independent stuff going, coming out, you know, even the, traditional authors will eventually stop giving so much of their money and percentage to the, to the publishing houses and just publish their stuff direct through uh, Amazon Kindle and, and stuff like that. that. That's the business side of it. I, th- I think people are, that's honestly why I name my guys the gatekeepers. I, I fought for years to break in. And uh, once I found a, a, a way around it, there was this philosophy Called Twenty Books to Fifty K, I uh, I said, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna name my guys, the bad guys, the gatekeeper, because that's what I've been fighting against all these years. Uh, Amazon has given independent guys who want to break in, but that can't, you know, just, lightning can't strike everywhere. Amazon's given independent guys a way, like me, guys like me, to break in and get past the gatekeepers. Now, now there's there's hundreds of thousands of people that think they can write, so you're gonna become a, a voice lost in the crowd. And some people say that gatekeeping is a good thing, but, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But I, bottom line, on the inside baseball side, um, more, more people are going to start writing their own books for themselves. Uh, storytelling wise, I think, uh, like we mentioned before, video games. Uh, there's, a, there's a subgenre that's emerged in the last decade or so called lit RPG. And it's basically you, you, you follow the novelization of a playing session. Um, and not necessarily of a current existing game, The the author makes up a game, makes up the rules, makes up the characters and stats. And, you know, he tells a story of the character in the novel, but also includes like the stats. You know, you, you, you kill a guy and, and pick up some magic sword. He has like, you write a little sideline in, in the sidebar, you now have, you know, this sort this of power plus one. And, and so the, the story goes with that, but you're also tracking stats and, you know, in a battle you're, you're tracking wounds. It it's it's weird for me to uh, wrap my head around because you know I, I like traditional novels, but uh, the audience these days has responded to that new format where people play video games a lot. If they, if they do read, they want to read about video games, and so uh, it's really taken off. I'm surprised.
1: That's a really interesting, and I think a, a very um, well thought perspective on on the future of uh, the genre uh well i certainly think you're going to see you know many many more science fiction games coming out and uh one of the big ones that's going to be released here i think it was supposed to be released in november was cyberpunk 2077
0: yeah that looks glorious i've seen the trailers better. it
1: does the the graphics on that just looks amazing
0: and they even got keanu but yeah, that, 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 <laughs> that's right. The trailers look great, though. Yeah, it, it looks beautiful, exactly what you want your cyberpunk future to look
1: like. Yeah, it, it seems like a, a, a really interesting um, world to, to inhabit. And yeah, no it, it, it may be a game that I try. I'm, yeah. I'm, I may give that game a try just because it looks so amazing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think that trend is going to continue for a, a long time to come and and probably increase its dominance over the the industry um uh, you know the entertainment industry i think video games is going to continue to dominate the the entertainment industry going no doubt yeah um what about technology that you see uh being integrated into stories
0: uh for me uh you know I've, i've always along with writing and, and uh, doing my regular day job at the test site, I've always been into uh, 3D printing. I, I, Along with mechs, you know, mechs pervaded every aspect of my life. I used to uh, sculpt mechs for tabletop games. There was a, a game, in, uh, a company out of Texas called Reaper Miniatures. They started a uh, game called CAV, Combat Assault Vehicle, and I sculpted a, a lot of their, their mechs, but I'm not that great of a mechanical or a regular sculptor by, you know, by hand. Most was done by putty and like little dental picks. Uh, 20 years ago, I went to the earliest forms of Google and said, you know, I've heard about this stuff called 3D printing. How do I do it? And uh, eventually I found a program, a CAD program called Rhino. Taught myself that and hooked up with some, one of the first uh, people that were renting time on their three D printers, and so I—that's uh, how I started as a uh, as a three D sculptor, basically. Um, what I do with that, and what over you know twenty years doing that, I've incorporated that in my writing. The 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 Niners are a bio-printed. Uh, race of warriors there's no birthing chambers or or, uh, or you know these these floating mechanical uterus uh, devices it's, it's just they, they they print them up slice by slice uh, kind of like when they reformed uh, lilu in uh, the fifth element or or a couple other things where you've seen people printed in front of you um so i i i use a lot of 3d printing in my work i think it's gonna really manifested every day in our lives. I, I finally bought one a couple of years ago. You know, they were always expensive. They were always two hundred fifty thousand, five hundred thousand dollars for a printer. And now you have a. I can get out of a desktop model on my shelf here that costs two hundred fifty bucks. So the, the 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 technology has really increased. So I think we're going to see more of that in our life coming up. I think it's going to be one in every house eventually, just like microwaves.
1: Well, I th- I think. Um you know it's it's kind of interesting but i i look around me in my office and i don't have a printer i don't have a, a you know a, a laser
0: printer uh, yeah yeah
1: a printer like that but uh i used to used to have a, a printer in every office you know yeah. when i when i had an office um we had multiple printers uh, but now you don't really need printers because everything no. is digital and um i mean if you want something printed, you take it down to the local store yeah, and have them yeah, printed for you.
0: It's almost to the point where if, if I need paper, it's a special occasion. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, like writing checks now. When's the last time you write a check? I, I wrote mine for my passport, but before that, I hadn't written a check in years. Yeah,
1: but there was a period between, you know, taking your stuff and the and exorbitant amount of money to have something printed for you. Yeah, to the desktop printer, the advent of the desktop printer, and everybody had one of those. So uh, I think you're right. I think 3D printing is definitely going to be something that is going to be easily accessible to everybody uh, within a very short period of time. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that you have already uh, delved into the idea of bioprinting, because that's something that's just on the very cutting edge of science right now. They're just barely barely getting into bioprinting certain organs and i don't yeah. even know if they've had success with it yet
0: they're, they're trying they, 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 they i think the israelis are, are uh, supposed to be on, on top of a lot of this stuff you know they they basically do a lattice work that that and then print within that lattice and i'm hoping for a uh, a new liver someday as much beer as i drink <laughs> <laughs> control p new liver please thank you i'll take <laughs> yeah.
1: it yeah they uh, i um i was keeping up on that kind of stuff there for a little while but i you know I have so many interests yeah, and uh, I go through phases. So there, there'll there be a time where I go revisit and look into all that stuff.
0: And, and uh, the technology advances is so fast. It, 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 yeah. it is like drinking a fire hose. I mean, we're, we're also plugged in these days that uh, if, if you, if, if you go into a specific niche, like uh, biomedical printing, uh, you'll still get lost because there's so much going on all around the world.
1: And it, doubles every six months or something like that? Isn't isn't that uh well, the, I'm
0: sure uh, at a uh, exponential rate I think yeah. that, that, talking about that old uh, processing power law oh, yeah. eighteen months or so
1: yeah yeah and, and that just that time is decreasing while the oh, yeah. the capabilities are increasing.
0: Oh yeah we're we're heading for that singularity. It'll be fun. Super cool
1: uh, <laughs> yeah really <laughs> What uh, what other type of technologies do you see that are going to start to uh, appear in science fiction, or maybe technology that hasn't really been invented yet? Do you do you have any insight or like theories I'm holding,
0: on? I'm holding over some uh, some breakthrough in propulsion, you know, interplanetary propulsion. I, I don't know if uh, we'll ever break the, the the light speed barrier in conventional space. You know, maybe will warp through things or, you know, open wormholes from here to there. Uh, but uh, I'm hoping, I want to get off this planet. So I, <laughs> I always tell my people, I, I want to die a cyborg in a different gravity well. I, I don't want to stay on this mud ball anymore. So uh, I, I'm hoping that we can somehow break through and get to Mars within a matter of days, if not weeks, instead of months to possibly years, depending on where the orbits are. So I, I'd like to build a, you know, to me I'd like to be like the Expanse. You know, we can get across the solar system, you know, in a couple of weeks or so, as huge as as it is. I, I I still want to be able to traverse at least my local solar system. So I'm hoping for a, a breakthrough in propulsion.
1: Yeah, that would be amazing. I know that uh, there's a lot of speculation going on with. Uh, I, I'm sure you're you're familiar with the nimitz incident with the uh that back in the 2004 um they were tracking some unidentified objects oh yeah
0: yep yep
1: and uh there's a there's a strong theory that they're putting out that that uh, um, the propulsion for those is some kind of gravity
0: some kind of reactionless drive or or some some kind of anti-gravity to to use a loose phrase but yeah i, I hope so I, uh, hopefully we already have it and you know we're just waiting to spring it on us but uh yeah i don't know
1: yeah it would be cool and you know if 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 we have stuff like that now or if we're on the verge of inventing stuff like that um hopefully it wouldn't be much longer that we would be able to use that through space as well yeah i mean
0: it's a, it's a big universe and we've been broadcasting hey we're here we're here for uh, at least a hundred something years since Marconi, and so eventually, though those signals are going to reach somebody, then they're going to say, "Hey, let's investigate that little backward planet," and uh, hopefully, we can uh, at least meet them. You know, it, it, it's like the whole uh, Columbus analog. If 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 the Indians had sailed out to meet Columbus in, in large ships, do you think they would have been, uh, you know, overrun and, and colonized, or do you think it it have been more mutual? You know that kind of thing
1: yeah ufos are uh, a topic of intense interest for me as well i do I've, I've had a couple people on the podcast who have experienced stuff that they cannot explain one guy even saw something through night vision goggles when he was in the desert of jordan mm-hmm. back in the i think the early 90s mid 90s and uh, he saw something up in way up in the sky outer uh, you know close to the edge of the atmosphere Uh is what he estimated there's no way of knowing for sure but um it was moving so fast and made multiple passes uh right above his location he doesn't know what it is and he doesn't think that it was man-made
0: i mean the universe is what estimated to be 14 billion years old Uh, Our solar system is only 4 billion years old. There's 10 billion years of history before we even came around. So there's got to be something out there. If we're here, somebody else has to be here and might be dead already. But uh, the universe is just too big for there not to be aliens. Whether they can get here, maybe. We'll figure it out, hopefully.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. Whether they can get here or whether they have been here all along, oh, yeah. and we're just now noticing them,
0: correct? Or you know, we're, we're waking up to it. You know, all the ancient alien stuff. I, I understand that. I, I don't take it away or laugh at anybody's supposedly crackpot theories uh, within the realm of possibility. You know, I, I don't think the world is flat. I don't. I don't think a couple other things. But, uh, but uh, you know, have we been vi- visited? It's entirely possible. I. I. I wish we could trade and interchange and, and uh, interact with them if, if we're biologically compatible. Um,
1: Wouldn't that change to... our reality, man?
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, but it, reality is always changing. So, you know, the, the only people that would be interested in uh, here's my conspiracy theory. The only people that, that would be interested in keeping that from us are people who are benefiting from the current status quo. So, I mean, things, the, the nature of life has changed. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sure the Incan emperor's wish that uh, nobody had ever seen uh, Pizarro or, or same thing. You know, I, I'm sure the Aztecs would be, would rather be cutting hearts out than, than deal with Cortez. The, uh, but you know, eventually we're going to make contact with somebody or somebody's going to make contact with us and, and there won't be any hiding. And so the, the current power structure, whatever it is, where's holding it up, it'll be swept away. Well, things will be different. Hopefully we survive it. We're not the, uh, turn into chew toys or pets. We'll
1: see. I think that's the least likely scenario. It, this is my opinion, um, yeah. because if that was going to happen, I think it would have already started to happen.
0: No, no doubt. No doubt.
1: The other theory that I think is really interesting is similar to what you write about in your novels. And that's the multi-dimensional uh, theory, multi-universe mm-hmm. or multi-dimensional theory that these beings travel in and out of the d- different dimensions.
0: Very well could be, I, I, I hope, you know, and, that, and since I guess the, the, the fact that we're not conquered and, and using universal translators uh, or being hooked up in battery pods, I, uh, hopefully uh, they're on equal footing with us, or at least they, they have a code holding them back saying, okay, we won't subjugate these, uh, these primates just yet
1: or they just don't give us that much attention you know, correct they, they don't could, even really think about. oh us. yeah we they
0: might be so advanced to, you know do you really want to talk with ants I, you know i i, I get it yeah, there's that story of uh there's a short story out there called uh thinking meat you know where the, these machine beings can't they can't believe that meat actually thinks that the concept is almost abominable to them so they decide to say yeah we'll, we'll, we'll mark this sector as uh as uh, nothing found because we don't want to deal with thinking meat because the thought of that is just abhorrent meat that thinks. Can you imagine? <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I am, um, you know, that's, it, it's funny that you say it cause I'm a vegetarian, but it's not oh, yeah. because, yeah, <laughs> it's not because I don't believe in, in killing animals, you know, for, for food. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I used to enjoy a good steak. Well, you know, just as much as oh, yeah, health,
0: health concerns, you know, your lifestyle change. I understand. No yeah, worries. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, yeah. There's a point in time where if you want to continue live a quality of life, you got to change something.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm drinking less. You know, the hangovers are getting meaner. Uh, it, it's, I'm, I'm trying to keep myself in shape. It's getting harder. You know, losing losing 10 pounds is not the, you know, a week's worth of work like it used to be. Now it's a month or two to lose 10 pounds, and I can put it back on in a weekend. Easy.
1: Man, I, I wish I could lose 10 pounds. Oh. I walk every day for like an hour and a half. I, mm-hmm. I eat a minimal diet, and I just can't take, take weight off for some reason. I know.
0: I, it's, just, it's no fair. But, uh, you, but, know, I'm, you know, I'm
1: 54 boy. now, so my metabolism is slowing down with age.
0: Oh, yeah. I'm, yeah, 45, I'm, I'm same way. I'm just, uh, man. And I see my, my 17-year-old just laying on the couch like, damn it, boy, get up. Get up before you end up like me. Oh, well. Yeah, and well,
1: and his metabolism is burning overtime oh, right yeah. there, so oh, he yeah. could he could go eat two hamburgers, a yeah. pile of fries, and a milkshake, and burn yeah. it off by the time he gets up. I remember when,
0: yeah, about twenty five is when I hit the wall, but yeah. until then, I was I was just a slayer of buffets, just yeah. absolute. I would wreck things, and uh, I could have been a competitive eater, I'm sure, because like <laughs> a hollow leg, but uh, not anymore, that's for
1: sure. That's a dangerous job. Now I've heard, I've heard that people died over well, not like that. You
0: know, yeah. tear tearing their esophagus out or uh, yeah. all kinds of stuff. I, you know, no thanks. It's
1: out. a rough way to make a living, man. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Fifty hot dogs. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or, I, I, I don't know I how many they eat, but that's crazy. I I
0: like food, but yeah. I can. There's probably no joy in them eating at all. It's just, all right. It's just, yeah.
1: For Oof. sure. Yeah. Anything once you make it competitive then it loses a little bit of its allure. Correct. You know? And then you're focused on the winning because yeah. you know, you're, you're not really the, enjoying the process. You're just focused yeah. on the winning.
0: Yeah, it takes the, 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 the leisure and the gastronomical joy out of it. You just, yeah, exactly. just wolf it down. Yuck.
1: Nope. So let me, uh, why don't we uh, try to wrap this up and yes, I give you an opportunity to talk about um, what you're working on next. I, I know you mentioned uh, the the next edition of your series um but is there anything that you're getting ready to put out um other than what you've already talked about
0: well i have a few irons in the fire but right now uh you know uh juncture world book one was called defiance uh juncture world book two is called breakthrough and then the uh, juncture world book three which i'm in the middle of right now is called the headhunters war uh that's that's basically the rebellion and that'll get that'll get settled uh I don't know if my publishers want to keep me, keep going with this or not. If if not, I'll I'll just revert back to my indie roots. I've always had a a, a superhero project in the works, not not hero, superhuman, because they're definitely not a heroes. But I think uh, you know stuff like the boys and stuff has, has definitely taken the wind out of my sails. As far as people say, oh well, you're just copying the boys. Like no, I've I've actually been doing this since '95, off and on. But uh, there's there's only so many plots out there that you could do. I have I have a military fantasy thing i mean i wrote a short story where this this cadet goes through like a magical marine corps boot camp a lot of my own experiences from boot camp are in that thing and eventually you know he we progress to a, a whole war between uh this magical the mage corps and and uh, whoever they're fighting i i think that the main enemies in this short story are like this army of necromancers so it's gonna be a life versus death kind of thing uh so I, 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 I don't know if it's just ADD or what, but I have like a million different ways I can go. And uh, I, I won't lack for, for uh, writing material anytime soon, with or without uh, a way forward, because I do have a way forward. I can, I, I can get around the gatekeepers, not to my own publishers or gatekeepers. They're just trying to do what's right by them. But if they decide, you know, we don't really want this or keep going with this, I can still keep going. And uh, we'll see.
1: Uh, that's good. Any idea when we will see the next edition of the, of the series out?
0: Oh, Steve and uh, Rhett sent you, didn't they? That's my publisher. <laughs> <laughs> <I remember. laughs> they, they emailed you. No, uh, you know, between uh, life and reality, uh, there have been delays. Uh, I'm not as far along as I should be. I should be done by now. But I'm only halfway through. And so, uh,
1: just like, between... uh, is it a year out or six months? But uh,
0: I would say six months. So yeah. Yeah. Well, once I get in their hands, uh, you know, editing takes a month or two between revisions and then, uh, and then, uh, they'll, they'll publish it direct through, through Amazon and, uh, it'll be all, all available in the ebook and soft cover. And then if we find somebody to pick it up in audiobook, it'll be on audiobook as soon as, uh, as, soon as we can find a, an actor who can take it on. My first two one, my first two are an audiobook, and that, that the the act, the voice actress, uh, uh, she's amazing, Emily Wu Zeller. Uh, she she really, they they chose a female narrator because my main protagonist is a uh, is female. Her name is Jessica Kramer, so and everything's from her point of view for the most part. Uh, it's about her struggle, and so. Emily really brought an amazing amount of characterization to my, uh, my silly scribbling. She, she really, she, she just nailed it.
1: Uh, so are those books uh, more um, adult fiction or young adult?
0: I made it so that uh, my kids can read it, but adults can read it. Uh, there's, there's no, uh, there's no, uh, it, that, there's graphic violence. I mean, you, people getting pulled apart and smashed and, and burned and chopped and shot. Uh, so there's violence, there's not a lot of sex, uh, I made up my own profanity, that's gate-specific instead of, uh, they say gate-damned, or, uh, you know, words like, you know, things that, uh, synonyms, you know, or or, or similes, uh, dung, uh, go vent yourself, stuff like that, you know, you, 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 you hear it, you know how it'd be used, but uh, I don't want to assault anyone's sensibilities. Plus, it, it works for in-universe, too. You know, they, they Of course, they're going to develop their own dialect, so the, the, their profanity, you know, their their word for the infernal depths is, is the void. The void surrounds all the Juncture world. Uh, so what the void do you think you're doing? That kind of stuff. So I, I, I've worked the lingo a little bit, uh, but yeah, there's violence. Not a lot of language unless you are looking for it. Not too much sex. One of, one of the uh, races of, is a, a, a line of of rebellious uh, pleasure androids called the War Dancers, and they they overthrew their masters, and uh, they, they're more on a path to bliss, but it's not overt, it's not sexual. So I don't I don't get graphic in with sex and profanity, but because uh, I wanted my kids to be able to read it, you know, a pair of high schoolers, but uh, there there is some some uh, some bone breaking, some some flesh rending rendering in their rending. It, it it gets pretty brutalist on the violent side.
1: Okay. Um, then how can people find your work and if they want to get in touch with you?
0: Uh, I'm on Facebook. If you just put in Bear Ross writer, uh, that'll take you to my public page. Uh, you can friend me on Facebook, John Bear Ross. That's that's cool. Um, uh, on Am- Amazon is what everything is basically offered through. So if you go to the Amazon search bar and just put in uh, defiance
1: junction world
0: it'll pop up it'll be the first thing
1: cool is there anything that uh you wanted to talk about that we might have glossed over or you'd like to go back and rehash a little bit about
0: oh i'm just glad to, uh, to be on here i appreciate it thank you very much it was it was it was a good time uh you know i i'm i'm one voice in a in a sea of thousands but uh, hopefully people read and like what, what i write so hopefully it catches on if it, if it doesn't it's fine I'll, I'll, I'll still keep going
1: and from from my perspective it is a pleasure having you on here it's really interesting hearing your perspective on the different ideas or different topics that we discussed huh. uh, i think it's always interesting to hear somebody's unique insights about topics that i'm interested in and um uh, you know, I, I really try very hard to keep this from going over into the realm of politics or religion because mm-hmm. those two topics are so inflammatory um, that I, I, I've I had guests that want to go talk about that stuff and I just put a stop to it. So yeah, yeah. Uh, you didn't go there. I mean, you know, I'm sure your worlds have their own politics and religions where you address some, some of those issues in there.
0: Yeah, you can do analogs and stuff like that, but I, I you know, I, I'm not out there to offend anyone deliberately i have my own opinions but i, I think uh religion and politics is kind of like you know genitalia keep it to yourself don't don't take it out and wave it around i think the world would be a little bit better i don't want to hear about it you know not not you personally but you know i don't want to hear some dudes venting a spleen it's cool yeah you know, every, everyone's got opinions don't yeah, think you're exactly. unique no. wow
1: yeah and for people that listen to this podcast they're not interested in hearing that stuff they're they'll uh, get yeah. their they'll consume you know their uh political satire somewhere else not yeah there. this is
0: this, this is entertainment this is, this is how we, we get away from those things exactly so, yeah.
1: yeah uh so that's a good place to wrap it up um appreciate you coming on man i will talk to you soon
0: all right sir you have a good day yeah you too.